Previously on the Lingua Files. I'm not quite sure where I am, or how I got here. You are speaking the mythical languages of Earth. You have arrived. Unless I'm not mistaken, languages that are fictional in my world are real languages here. Anyway, where am I? And who are you? I am a wizard. I summoned you here, to hear, here to hear. Is this some kind of geek's heaven? Am I dead? Follow me. I need to feed my pet. What? Where are we going? Behold my pet, Mithri. Oh my god, it's a dragon. What? What did I do? If we jump, when we fall, we'll get far enough away from her and I'll be able to use magic again. One, two, three, jump! What the hell? That was... horrible. Oh, God, where am I now? Hello? Wizard? Great, now I'm by myself again. All I can see is rocks. Who is that wizard anyway? Oh well, may as well while the time away with some etymology. Wizard is from the word wise, meaning, well, wise. There's a verb in German, wissen, spelt with a W, that means to know, which makes sense. So wizard is just a wise person. Although that one just now didn't seem so wise. Seemed pretty stupid, actually. Fancy not telling me that his stupid dragon would fly off the stupid handle at the most trivial of things. Mithrin. Stupid name. And the name of this place, here. Also a stupid name. And welcome to episode 8 of the Linguophiles, I suppose. I thought it was going to be more special than this, seeing as it's the last one. Ugh, what am I doing here anyway? I can't even remember where I was before. I, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get home. Ugh, and this stone is not a good backrest. Ow! Ow! Oh. Oh, that's interesting. It's got writing all over it. Wow. It's all the alphabets of Earth. The top one looks like the Phoenician alphabet, if I'm not mistaken. Or, technically, one should call it an abjad, in which only the consonants are written using symbols. The word abjad is taken from the first four letters used in Arabic writing, and it's also obviously an abjad, or an impure one, as long vowels are written. But Phoenician was an abjad consisting of 22 consonants. It was used by, you guessed it, the Phoenicians, whose civilization lasted over a millennium from about 15 BCE. That's before the Common Era, by the way. A less religiously affiliated way of stating BC, which stands for before Christ. AD being Anno Domini, Latin for in the year of the Lord. Now you'll see CE meaning Common Era. Anyway, the Phoenicians were a seafaring nation that traded around the Mediterranean, from Phoenicia, on the eastern part of the Mediterranean in modern-day Syria, Lebanon and Israel, and their alphabet, or Abjad, as we've established, grew popular due to its simplicity. 
Other writing systems in use included Egyptian hieroglyphs and cuneiform used by the Sumerians in Mesopotamia, which covers modern-day Iraq and Syria. But these systems were complex, consisting of many hundreds of symbols and rules. Phoenician required memorizing only 22 symbols. What's amazing about this writing system is that it was taken by many other civilizations and adapted to fit whatever language it was used to write. West of Phoenicia, basically Europe, it developed into the Greek alphabet, which in turn gave birth to the Latin alphabet, the runic alphabet, used to write old Germanic languages like Old Norsk, and the Cyrillic alphabet, used in different variations to write Russian, Bulgarian, Kyrgyz, and many other languages. And turning east, Phoenician begat the Hebrew and Arabic writing systems. What's interesting is that the systems of writing that developed to the west of Phoenicia write from left to right, and to the east and south, write from right to left. It's like they're all writing facing their origins in Phoenicia. And if you look at some of the letters, they're just versions of the same brushstrokes rotated or flipped. Look at the lowercase letter R, for example. It's a line growing upwards that bends to the right in the Roman alphabet. In Hebrew, it's a line growing upwards that bends to the left. And in Arabic, it's a line growing downwards that also bends to the left, like a mirror image of its Hebrew counterpart. The widespread use of writing systems derived from Phoenician means that languages of different families use scripts deriving from one family. There's something fascinating in that. And by the way, the words Phoenician and phonetics aren't connected, although they sound similar. However, it can help you remember that the Phoenician alphabet became popular due to its phonetic nature. Phonetic comes from the Greek word phone, meaning sound or voice. Think telephone. So what does it say? It's pretty dusty. There you are! Wizard, where the hell were you? We hadn't fallen far enough from the dragon. My magic wasn't powerful enough to transport us both at the same time, so we were separated. But I found you. Luckily, I put a tracking spell on you earlier. Uh, non-consensual, but okay. That dragon of yours is bonkers. She certainly has some chutzpah. <laughs> she does. Wait, what? Chutzpah? That's Yiddish. Chutzpah? The word chutzpah, that's from the Yiddish language. Is it? I read it in the tome and liked the sound of it. So tell me about this Yiddish from your fictional world. I'll fictional world you in a minute. Sorry? Nothing. Yiddish developed in the 9th century in the Ashkenazi Jewish community that lived in Central Europe and is a language based on High and Mid-German mixed with Hebrew, Aramaic and Slavic elements, plus whatever language surrounded them. It's written mostly using the Hebrew script. Talking of which, we get chutzpah from Hebrew chutzpah, meaning audacity. The word tuchus, bum, from Hebrew tachat, meaning below. Other Yiddish words are schluf, from German schlafen, to sleep, which is connected to our own word sleep, and the word Yiddish itself, which comes from German Yiddish, meaning Jewish. Wonderful! And there's also ladino, the language of the Jews who settled in Spain. It's very recognizable as a variant of Spanish and works in a similar way to the Northern European Yiddish. Just writing this down. So what is this thing? It looks like some sort of Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone? Oh, you'll love this. 
Oh my god, she's back! Run! No, no, I had a good talking to her before I came here. And she's come to offer an olive branch by letting us ride on her back. Back to the castle whence we came. Oh god. Hi, Mithrin. Um, sorry for the comment before. You're a very powerful, fire-breathing dragon with no connection to any other animal at all, ever. On we get! Come on, Earth Beast! Show me you have chutzpah! Oh, and take that stone tablet! It might be of use. Oh, hey, this thing's heavy! Not you, Beast! Mithrin will carry it. Oh. Up we get! <sighs> oh, oh, my God! Oh, oh! Okay. Okay, calm down, Alex. Calm down. All right, back there. Fine. You were talking about the Rosetta Stone. Uh, is this really the time? Why not? Enjoy the view. Learn something new. Giddy up, dragony. <coughs> oh, okay. Okay, maybe it'll take my mind off my vertigo. <sighs> wow. From the Latin, vertere, meaning to turn, because you feel like you're spinning when you suffer from vertigo. Okay. So... The Rosetta Stone is a fragment of a huge stone tablet on which are written three different writing systems, or scripts. Egyptian hieroglyphs, ancient Greek, and a third script called Demotic, which was like the everyday speech of the ancient Egyptians. The word Demotic is from Greek meaning of the people. Think democracy. Oh my god, we're really high up. Woo! Uh, nice view, though. Oh, it's a bit quieter up here. So, the three scripts on the Rosetta Stone actually all say the same thing. A decree swearing allegiance to the pharaoh, Ptolemy V, by some priests in Memphis. But because it's the same text replicated in different writing, it enabled linguists to decipher Egyptian hieroglyphs. It's called the Rosetta Stone because it was found in the Egyptian town of Rashid, or Rosetta, in 1799. It was revolutionary, as Egyptian hieroglyphs were a total enigma before its discovery. Oh, and by the way, it's important to note that you don't say hieroglyphics, but hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphic is the adjective, hieroglyphs is the noun. So you can have hieroglyphic writing, which are hieroglyphs. Like the words symbolic and symbol. One is an adjective, the other a noun. If you look left, you'll see the Aurora Borealis. To the right, the Aurora Australis. Wow. The northern and southern lights in one sky. This place is mad. Aurora is the goddess of the dawn in Latin. Borealis meaning northern, and Australis or Australis meaning, well, southern. It's amazing. We only see these in the extreme north and south on Earth. They're so beautiful. A reaction of solar wind in our magnetosphere. Indeed they are. Ah, almost back. Upon landing, we shall experience some light turbulence. What? Oh, oh, whoa! Oh, oh. oh, home, sweet home. Oh, thank goodness. Um, uh, thanks, Mithrin. <laughs> and here we are, on the balcony, outside the library. 
Right. Where were we? Ah, yes. Next in the book is Hebrew. Apt as we spoke about Yiddish and Ladino earlier. Mithrin, please put the tablet over there. We'll look at it later. Uh, yes. Actually, Hebrew is pretty fascinating. The only example of a language resurrected from the dead. It's a Semitic language related to Arabic and Aramaic, and was a spoken language in the kingdom of Judah and Israel. It fell out of use as an everyday language around 135 CE, after the Roman Emperor Hadrian expelled or killed most of Israel's Jews. Aramaic and Greek became the popular languages of the Middle East, and Hebrew was confined to religious texts and prayers, and remained there until the 18th century, which saw an increase in language study as part of the Enlightenment. Christians and Jews began to rekindle interest in the language, and a new, more modern style of Hebrew developed, even being published in Jewish papers at the time. However, it was still only a written language, and with the advent of Zionism in the 19th century, Hebrew was seen as a way to honour Jewish roots. It was also a unifying language to the Jews, who at the time all spoke different languages like Ladino, Russian, English and Arabic. And Yiddish. And Yiddish, which was what most European Jews spoke. Hebrew really took hold after Eliezer ben Yehuda, a newspaper editor and lexicographer, that's a dictionary writer, basically, pioneered the use of Hebrew, and whose son was to be the first native Hebrew speaker in 2,000 years. In 1890, he founded the Va'ad HaShalom, the Hebrew Language Council, which started the arduous task of adding words to Hebrew that didn't exist. Remember, it was still more or less a language confined to the Bible, no words for ice cream or electricity. Words were reconstructed, often using Arabic as inspiration. In 1899, the first all-Hebrew school was founded, and from there it moved to the home and spread. Many people after Ben Yehuda contributed enormously to the development of Hebrew as a modern language, and it's now the official language of Israel, spoken by over 9 million people today. Fascinating. Oh, I think I need a break. Shall we take a look at that tablet? Uh, sure. So, it's in all the scripts and languages of Earth, you say? This is quite the discovery. Yeah, but I can't read them very well, let alone translate what they say. <coughs> <coughs> oh, look! There's more writing. It's in English at the bottom. How wonderfully convenient. Let's see. Oh, you're right. It's some sort of riddle. To begin the return, you reshape the end, and the homeward road will be yonder. Four powers must be spoken to open the path. Afar in the dirt we wander. What? What the heck does that mean? Who knows? Another date? More coffee, perhaps? Uh, still feeling really full, actually, but thanks anyway. More for me, then. Do you think the riddle might be a way for me to get home? Maybe. Let it settle. Come back to it later. We might see something different. All right. Now, what's next, anyway? Hungarian. Ah, yes. Spoken in Europe, in Hungary, by about 13 million people, but isn't related to most European languages. It's thought to be part of what's called the Uralic language family, which also contains Finnish and Estonian. These languages are not part of the Indo-European language family, which most European languages are part of. 
Like Basque? Exactly. But Basque isn't part of any language family, according to what linguists have deduced. Although some linguists think that the language of Sard or Sardo spoken in Sardinia might have some influence from Basque, but it's contentious. Sardo is, however, considered to be the language most like Latin, which is interesting. So, may I ask, why are you collecting all this information about my fictional world? My twin daughters, Sol and Luna, are coming of age. I wish to give them something that no other has in the land of here. Sol and Luna? Why does that ring a bell? You think it is a nice gift? Well, I think it's a wonderful present. Not a little bit naff? A book of languages from a fictional land? <sighs> Firstly, not fictional. Secondly, not at all. I think it's a really creative and thoughtful present. Good. And thirdly, did you just say naff? Yes. It's English, isn't it? Well, yes and no. It's actually part of a language called Polari, some words of which have been adopted into mainstream English. Polari? Yes. Oh, you have to add this one. Polari is a kind of language used by gay men in my country, the UK, since the 19th century to communicate with one another, especially in times when being gay was against the law. Against the law? Whatever for? I know, ridiculous. But because of this, these men used to use words that only other gay men would understand, creating a kind of clandestine language. Oh, from the Latin clandestinus, meaning secret or hidden. Polari took words from Romany, Yiddish, London slang, and the Romance languages, like Italian. For example, the name of the language itself, Polari, which is just from the Italian parlare, meaning to speak. But the word naf, which you just said, is Polari. It's spelt N-A-F-F, -F, and isn't a foreign word, actually standing for not available for F-wording, referring to a straight man. But now it just means tacky, not very classy. How marvellous! What scandal! I know. Polari was often used by the characters Julian and Sandy in the comedy radio series Round the Horn, starring Hugh Paddock and Kenneth Williams, with phrases like how bona tavada eureke, meaning how good to see your face. Bona, from Italian buono, meaning good, Vada, also from Italian vedere, meaning to see, and eek being an abbreviation of Ekaf, which is the word face backwards. It's beginning to sound like a gay Esperanto. A gay Esperanto, if you will. <laughs> I'm a hoot. Hmm. Anyway, no, your present isn't naff at all. Son, Athchomari, Yaral. What? It is Dothraki for much respect, as a way to say thank you. It is another language of the land of here. I thought it appropriate in the circumstances. Of course. Dothraki. I suppose you have High Valerian too. Of course. I have cousins who are fluent in both. Well, on Earth it's another conlang created by George R. R. Martin in his Game of Thrones stories. It seems that a lot of creators of conlangs love double initials in their names. Anyway, it was developed further by David J. Peterson for the television series. Well, it's real here. Of course. So, anything else you want to cover? 
Just two more. Japanese and Kosa. Okay, wow, uh, quite different languages. Japanese is part of the Japonic branch, spoken by 128 million people, and unsurprisingly is the national language of Japan. What's amazing about Japanese is that they have three writing systems. Yes, three. They have what's called kanji, which is the series of complex symbols to represent concepts, like the way Chinese is written. The other two are syllabaries, which means that they're symbols that represent syllables, like ka, ki, ku, ke, ko, etc. The names of the two systems are hiragana and katagana, and have 46 and 48 characters respectively. Hiragana is used to phonetically write Japanese words, whereas katakana is used mainly to write foreign words or for emphasis. Japanese also sometimes uses what they call romaji, which is the Roman letters to phonetically spell Japanese to foreigners. The language itself is interesting as it uses honorifics, little particles put onto the ends of words that are applied depending on the status of the speaker compared with the interlocutor. It's a language very focused on courtesy and politeness. So this, together with its three to four writing systems, if you count romaji, makes Japanese seem rather daunting to learn to us Westerners. However, one easier aspect of it is the fact that it has only five vowels. A, I, U, E, O. I should very much like to see all these writing systems. Aren't they on the tablet? Yes, look. Kanji, hiragana, and katakana, all in one sentence. This makes things even more difficult, as everything can be mixed depending on the style, grammar, and words. <gasps> How fascinating! And last but not least, Koza. The African language with clicks, Koza. To any Koza speakers, apologies for butchering that. To make sure I don't make a complete fall out of myself, I'll call it Koza from now on. This language is extraordinary to us Europeans. It's a language of the Niger-Congo branch, spoken by 11 million people, native to South Africa. It contains three main cliques, represented in the Roman alphabet by Q, C, and X. What's really coincidental, though, is that in English we use cliques similar to these in some contexts. I see. The X in Cosa represents a sound similar to how we call a horse. The Q is the way we imitate a horse clip clopping. And the C is like a tut. But listening to a native Cosa speaker is incredible, as the clicks feel like their voice has been split in two and yet vocalizes all at once. Go listen on YouTube, it's quite amazing to our ears. YouTube? Like TV, but different. What an articulate description. I'm tired. Any other languages you would like to add to the sacred compendium? I mean, hundreds, but I haven't got it in me for now. Maybe I can come and visit you again someday and we can fill in some more? I understand. Well, beast of earth, I must thank you and fulfill my end of the bargain to help you get home. Oh, that would be marvellous. Thank you. And I think this tablet is the key. To begin the return, reshape the end, and the homeward road will be yonder. Four powers must be spoken to open the path. Afar in the dirt we wander. Oh, I'm not good at riddles.
reshape the end. What does that mean? And four powers? Well, I think we need four words as a sort of incantation that we need to say to draw you back to your home world. And the phrase reshape the end might refer to the end of the riddle itself. Afar in the dirt, we wonder. Incantation from the Latin incantare meaning to chant or bewitch. Oh, reshape the end. So maybe four words from that end phrase? We say some of the words in random orders. Um, afar, wander, dirt, in. No, okay. Um, wander, in, afar, wander. Oh no, I already said wander. Stop, stop, stop. I think it's more complicated than that. Here, write the sentence down letter by letter on this page. Jumble everything up and see if you can get any words from it. Ugh, this'll take ages. Can't you cast some spell or something? I was about to try, but I'm being blocked somehow. Which must mean... Mithrin! She can sense the power of the tablet. We must be close, Alex of Surrey. She has come to say goodbye. Well, she's terrifying. Ooh. Whoa, she's making quite the gust. What's she doing? How odd. I've never seen her act like this. Having fire and creating such a gust. Mithrin, this wind is quite disturbing. What are you trying to tell us? Fire and wind. Wait. Fire and wind. Fire and wind. That's it. What? Yes, afar in the dirt we wander is an anagram from Greek ana meaning backwards and gramma meaning letter. Uh, got it! Fire, earth, wind, and water. Well done! <laughs> thank you, Mithrin. Farewell, Alex, and thank you. You're welcome! Alex? Alex? Huh? Do you wake up? Huh? Oh. Oh, Arabella. Oh, I was having the strangest dream. Oh dear. Must be all that sugar. My fault. Oh, no. Not at all. And my fault for eating so much. Well, here's your mint tea. Oh, thank you. Shall we take a turn in the rose garden, bring you back to your senses? Oh, good idea. I'll tell you all about that dream. It's really weird. There was a wizard and a castle and a dragon chased us. Goodness me. Maybe you should exercise restraint with the chocolate biscuits next time, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, good point. I shall miss that beast. He could have been a pet companion to you, dear Mithri. Oh, look, there's more writing on this tablet. It says, Dear listeners of the Lingua Files. What is that, I wonder? It continues, Thank you for coming on this journey with us. We hope to have entertained you and that some of our passion for languages has rubbed off on you. Maybe we'll see you again one day, but until then, from the team at the Lingua Files, we bid you all farewell. Come, Mithrin, 
You must help me reconstruct the castle walls. I know it wasn't your fault, but it was still your wing that did it, you clumsy thing. Come on.